0: Welcome to the All People's Church Podcast. We believe in loving God, strengthening families, and developing leaders. We are so excited for you to hear this life-changing message recorded live at one of our worship experiences. Remember to share and subscribe to this podcast and enjoy the message. Amen. Well, it's good to be in God's house. Come on, somebody. God is moving. God is here. He has never stopped working. Amen. I want to welcome those of you watching online. Thank you so much for worshiping with us. By the way, if you're new to our space, my name is Moses Khan. I'm one of the pastors uh, here at All People's Church. And uh, it is my privilege and honor to uh, be preaching this morning as we finish the life of Joseph. How many have enjoyed this series? Yeah, it's been so good. It's, uh, it's been so good, it's been incredible. I want to read to you out of uh, Genesis chapter 39. Genesis chapter 39. Uh, we are going to read the whole chapter. So if you didn't get your Bible reading in this week, you are welcome. Um, that, was, that was a joke. All right, we're starting off, uh, we're starting off strong here. All right, I'm going to invite you to stand on your feet, uh, to your feet as we read God's word, as we honor God's... Word, um, A.V. team, can you switch it so I see the next scripture as well? Otherwise I will, uh, I will be a mess up here. Genesis chapter 39, you ready? Yeah. You ready for a whole chapter? <laughs> Woo, God's like, some people didn't read their Bible this, this week. So there you go. I'm reading out of the ESV translation. And so uh, let's do that. It says this Now Joseph had been brought down to Egypt, and Potiphar, an officer of Pharaoh, the captain of the guard, an Egyptian, had brought him from the Ishmaelites who had brought him down there. The Lord was with Joseph. Someone say, The Lord was with Joseph. And he became a successful man, and he was in the house of the Egyptian master. His master saw that the Lord was with him. His master, who is an Egyptian, who does not know God, saw that God was with Joseph. Somebody somebody needs to hear that this morning. The world doesn't need to know God to know that God is with you and that God is on your side and you had the favor of God over your life. His master saw that the Lord was with him and the Lord caused all that he did to succeed in his hands. So Joseph found favor in his sight and attended him and he made him overseer of his house. Put him in charge of all that he had. From the time that he made him overseer in his house and over all that he had, the Lord blessed the Egyptian's house for Joseph's sake. I could preach on that. I don't know, some of you have been been treated bad by your bosses and and your superiors. And you got to let them know, man, if it wasn't for me. For Joseph's sake. The blessing of the Lord was on... All that he had in the house and the field. So he left all that he had in Joseph's charge. And because of him, he had no concern about anything but the food he ate. Now Joseph was handsome in form and appearance. This is where all the single ladies perk up. You're paying attention now. All right. And after a time, his master's wife cast her eyes on Joseph and said, lie with me. But he refused. He refused. to lie beside her or to be with her. But one day when he went into the house to do his work, none of the men of the house were in the house. And she caught him by his garment, his outer cloak, saying, lie with me. But he left his garment in her hand and fled and got out of the house. And as soon as she saw that he had left his garment in her hand and had fled out of the house, she called to the men of the household and said to them, see, he has brought among us a Hebrew to laugh at us as soon as his master heard the words that wife spoke to him, this is what your servant, This is how your servant treated me. His anger was kindled. Verse 20. And Joseph's master took him and put him into the prison, the place where the king's prisoners were confined. And he was there in prison, but the Lord was with Joseph. I'm going to read that one more time because some of you didn't catch that. He was in prison. But the Lord was with Joseph. And Joseph was shown favor, steadfast love. And, gave, and God gave him favor in the sight of the keeper of the prison. And the keeper of the prison put Joseph in charge of all the prisoners that were who, who were in prison. Whatever was done there, he was the one who did it. And the keeper of the prison paid no attention to anything that was in Joseph's charge. Because the Lord was with him. And whatever he did, the Lord made it succeed. Amen. Would you pray with me? God, thank you for these moments that we could share in your presence. God, I thank you that you are here, tangibly here in this room. So we ask God that you would show up in a way that only can be ascribed to you. God, that you would do an incredible thing today, that you would speak to our hearts, our minds. Our souls, Lord, that we would be moved by who you are. I pray for every listener under the sound of my voice. Holy Spirit, that you would speak to them as they need to hear from you this morning. I pray that you would anoint my words, anoint my thoughts. God, that I do not stand up here on my gifts, my talents, or my abilities, but simply on the basis that your word is true. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen and amen. You may be seated. How many of you love doing chores? How many of you love doing chores? Put your hands up. If you love, if you enjoy doing chores. All right. No hands went up. Because if hands went up, I would have brought you over to my house after this service and put you to work. Okay. If you had to do a chore, what would that chore be? Just yell it out. Dishes, mow the lawn, cleaning. Vacuuming. Okay, that's good. Someone said dishes and I don't understand people like that because I despise doing dishes. In my house, I am the garbage man. I take care of the garbage. I vacuum all the floors of the house. I make sure the stairs are clean, the floors are clean, the living room, all that area. So I do the garbage. Um, I vacuum, sweep, all that stuff. But I despise doing Dishes. Now, one of the reasons I despise doing dishes is because in my house we are too cheap to use the dishwasher. And so we wash our dishes by hand. Any of, any of those people here? A couple of you sharing in my, listen, there's no shame in that game. I'm telling you. It's, uh, it's uh, hard workers. Real hard workers. Or either you're either hardworking or you're cheap. Well, you got to figure that one out. But. Um, <laughs> um, so I don't like doing dishes. And um, if you have, you know, done dishes by hand, if you're not, you know. Um, really into the dishwasher game. Um, how many know that your sponge goes through a lot? Right. By the way, there's, there's nothing like the feeling of a brand new sponge. You're like, what, is, what, are, we, what are we talking about today? There's nothing you know, better than a brand new sponge. And, 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 and the thing with sponges is, is they go through so much. Not only are sponges constantly saturated in water and in soap, but they're constantly saturated in the food left on your plate. In the grease, and the grime, right? And uh, uh, whether it's, it's eggs or it's sauce or it's meats or it's curry or it's, or it's whatever. It's the sponges constantly are saturated in everything left over by you on that plate. And so after a while, how many know that a sponge kind of starts getting a little gross? It starts changing in color. It smells a little weird. And, and it's, it's that time where you're like, okay, time to throw this one out. And to get a brand new sponge and again you go through that, wow, brand new sponge, nothing like it. This is amazing, this is incredible. Now, why do I share that story? Well, number one, to confess that I hate doing dishes. How many of you are tired of me confessing things every time I get up here, by the way? Um, but number two, I, I brought up this, this, this idea of the sponge getting saturated because uh, when, we, when we go into this moment with, with Joseph and, and Mrs. Uh, The the title of my sermon this morning is the Mrs. Potiphar problem. The Mrs. Potiphar problem. Now, the Mrs. Potiphar problem, as as we're going to find out today, is not just a problem of an individual. It is also the problem of being saturated in a culture and in a worldview that is contrary to the one you and I have been called to as followers of Jesus. Like sponges... You and I are constantly saturated, bombarded with advertisements, with music, with movies, with motivational uh, Instagram people that, that you follow, and, and, and all sorts of things. I think they're called influencers. They're called influencers. Um, and, and, and so we're constantly bombarded, we're constantly being saturated from Monday to Saturday in worldviews that are contrary to the worldview we are called to, to, to live by as followers of Jesus. And we come here on a Sunday morning and expect an hour and 15 minutes to do something incredible in our lives. And so we, like sponges, smell like the grime and the curry and, and, and the egg yolk. We're nothing, we're nothing worse than cleaning egg yolk. I feel like every time you got, you you got egg yolk to wipe, you gotta you gotta throw that you gotta throw that sponge sponge out. It's, it's it's disgusting. Um, no nobody else shares in that. Okay, all right. Anyways, I threw it out there, didn't catch. I'm gonna reel it back in. Um, so so that's the idea. The idea is that we're not just struggling with our human heart, our human tendencies, we are also struggling with and fighting against a culture that continuously is saturating us. And if you have not experienced that, experienced that, that, then you have been living under a rock. Or you are some sort of robot, um, and uh, you, you clearly don't have a mind or, or human flesh. But the rest of us, the rest of us humans... We are getting tired of constantly being bombarded and saturated by a worldview that is contrary to the Bible. Now, that's what we're going to get into. That's what I hope to accomplish in the next 35 to 40 minutes. So get comfortable. It's going to be good. But let's talk about the life of Joseph. The life of Joseph has been interesting because Joseph starts off. As a dreamer and a favored son, doesn't he? He starts off as a dreamer and a favored son. He has a dream. He's favored by his dad. Life is good. If this is what life is going to be like, this is amazing. It's incredible. And all of a sudden, Joseph goes from being a dreamer and a favored son to being envied and a hated brother. Those who he 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 expected the most from, those who who was who were the closest to him, envied him and began. To hate him. And so Joseph goes from being a, a dreamer uh, and a favored son to being envied and a hated brother. And then we're told he is sold into slavery. It's just not getting any easier for Joseph. And then from, from being sold into slavery, he's working for Potiphar. Then he's accused, he's sent to prison. What is happening? And yet we are told that his imprisonment actually became. A place where he was promoted. Ladies and gentlemen, that is, that is incredible. We, we are told that God is with Joseph and that even, even, even people who don't know God get to see that God is with Joseph. And only in the hands of God can your imprisonment actually become a means of promotion. Only in the hands of God can a prison lead you to a way of salvation. Only in the hands of God, what, what seems to, to wear you down, what seems to annoy you, what seems as a burden. Only in the hands of God can imprisonment lead to promotion. We know then after, after that, we know that, that he raises, he, he, he rose in power. He's the right man of Pharaoh. Eventually he goes on to save his family and not just his family, but his whole his people. And then his dream is fulfilled. We know, we know that Joseph's brother come to him really fulfilling the dream and vision that he has. And they're bowing before him. We were told in the Bible uh, later on in Genesis that Joseph weeps because this dream and this vision is finally fulfilled. But Joseph had to go through a lot, didn't he? He had to make some tough decisions. Because Joseph, he, because he was, he was mistreated by his brothers, he, he had to handle things very interestingly and very, very cautiously. How many know it's, it's, it's one thing to go through life and have life be miserable. And it's another thing to, to go through a, the misery of life and know the people who are responsible for the misery you're going through. What, what do you do when you know who is responsible for the misery you're going through? You're going to have some decisions to make. I, I think it's, it's, it's sometimes even easier to go through what you're going through than to get over why you're going through it. See, see Joseph had a, had a decision to make. Do I become bitter about why I'm going through what I'm going through? Do I keep blaming my brothers? Essentially, Joseph had to answer the question, how much of my life do I let my brothers still control? See, Joseph had to come to a place where he could say, they might have my coat, but God has my character. They may try to kill me, but they cannot destroy my destiny. God is still at work. The hands of my brothers will not control my life. What they meant for evil, God will use for good. Joseph had to get to that place. And the way Joseph had to get to that place is through testing. And so, and so God makes and allows Joseph to go through different scenarios and different things where, where Joseph is now being tested. What, what was God doing? God had to train the heart of Joseph for the dream that was given to him. Amen. See, the reason some of us aren't seeing the fulfillment of our dreams is not because, it's not because things aren't working out. It's not because maybe we don't have the education. But we have not allowed God to train our hearts to carry the weight of our dreams. Amen. And so we are in the middle of that training, Genesis 39, in one of the moments where Joseph's heart is being trained by God. He is in the home of Potiphar. In the home of Potiphar. The Bible tells us that Joseph becomes a favored slave. Everything Joseph does begins to prosper, so much to the point where Potiphar actually doesn't even know what he owns. How many of you would like to be in that position? Hey. He doesn't even know what he owns. That's how much success Joseph is bringing to the life of Potiphar. We know that not only was he a a trusted slave, we know that Potiphar saw that the Lord was with Joseph. Now this is important for us to understand. That means Joseph always postured himself in a place and in an attitude and in a posture where he was not the main character of his life. Jo, when asked the question, Joseph, Joseph, how are you so organized? How are you so determined? How are you so disciplined? He, he didn't result to, hey, I got great willpower. I got a great education. He said, God is responsible for this. Amen. And so we know that the Lord was with Joseph, which implies that Joseph was with the Lord. Number three, we also see in the life of Joseph here in this moment, Potiphar trusts Joseph. Potiphar trusts Joseph. Joseph has a good character. He, is, he has integrity. He, he does what he says. And even better than what is expected of him, he, he performs his duties, but he also goes above and beyond. And so when we think about... About Joseph, we can think of all these reasons as, as Potiphar and Mrs. Potter, as Ms. Potiphar is, is trying to tempt Joseph, is trying to lure Joseph. Joseph has, Joseph has to constantly remind himself that I'm not going to let this moment derail my destiny. Mrs. Potiphar, you're attractive and all, but I'm not going to let you abort my assignment. I'm not going to be years down the road and say, wow, I should not have done that. I understand that the Lord is with me. Now how many know that's not easy to do? So our hearts hearts continuously need training so we can carry the weight of God's assignment over our lives. We can carry the weight of the dream and destiny that God has for us. You good so far? It's a little bit of Joseph as he struggles in Potiphar's house. Now we should talk about the main problem, the Mrs. Potiphar problem. Mrs. Potiphar has a few issues. She's, she's, got, she's got a few issues. Number one, my, as, I, as I look into the story and the narrative, my, my first question is, Mrs. Potiphar, where are your friends? What are you doing alone with a house of male servants? How many know isolation is going to get you in trouble? Where, where accountability, accountability lacks, there's going to be trouble, right? Because what has Mrs. Potiphar done? Mrs. Potiphar uh, ha, has left herself to her instincts. She has left herself to what she feels, her natural desires, and because she is isolated. My question, Mrs. Potiphar, where are your friends? Where, like, go have tea with a couple of ladies or something, Mrs. Potiphar. You know what I mean? Like it's getting creepy. You're looking through the blinds at Joseph, as Joseph is working hard, and, like, and then when he looks, you kinda of close the blind. Mr. Potiphar, it's getting a little creepy. Where are your friends? Why are you so isolated? When we're isolated, when we isolate ourselves, here's what happens. We put ourselves in a position where we train ourselves to not listen to the voice of God and the voice of the Holy Spirit, but we train ourselves to listen to our instinct. When we're isolated, our instincts get the best of us. Our tendencies get the best of us. That's why you find yourself doing things that you would say, wow, how did I do that? Why? Because you were isolated. You were alone, left to your own devices. Number two, the problem we see with Mrs. Potiphar is that she finds Joseph attractive. You say, what's the problem with that, Pastor Mo? Joseph's not her husband. That's the problem with that. Joseph is not her husband. Here's the problem with Mrs. Potiphar. Mrs. Potiphar wants what she cannot have. I mean, I know there's nobody in this church that has ever found themselves wanting what they cannot have. Now watch how the first problem and this problem combine. You're isolated, right? Left with the desires of wanting what you know you cannot have. Here's what happens. Those desires grow. The Bible says day after day, she said to Joseph, Joseph, lie with me. Joseph, lie with me. Joseph, no one's here. Lie with me. Potiphar's gone. It's okay. We're not gonna get caught. Let's do this. And day after day, she let those desires stew. And here's what happens when you let things like that stew. Eventually, you're going to get your wants and your needs confused. Eventually, the thing you wanted you're going to say you need. See, and this is what we get in culture. This is what we get in society. Here's what we're constantly bombarded with. We're constantly bombarded with this idea, you need this. Like, like, like think about beer commercials, for instance. All right? Think about the fun that, that they're having in those, like, genuinely, I've never had beer, but genuinely, I look at that and I'm like, wow, that looks refreshing. But what is happening? We're living in a culture, and a society where we're constantly bombarded with things that we are told that if we don't have this, we're not living a fulfilled life. If you don't sleep with a certain amount of people before you get married, you're not living a fulfilled life. What do you mean you married that individual and you never had sex with them before? How do you know if they're going to be even good in bed? Oh, uh, we got no real people today. Is that not true? And so we're constantly bombarded with this idea that you need this. In order to be happy, you need that house. In order to be happy, you need that car. In order to be happy, you need this kind of spouse. Maybe you don't even need to get married. You just need to move in. And I could go there. (laughs) Thank you, ma'am. Because here's what happens when you move in. Here's what happens, you don't even realize it. You are performing for the role of husband or wife. It becomes an audition. You constantly are performing. Can I gratify them to the point where eventually they will say, I'm good enough? I'll marry you now. All right, move on, Pastor Mo. So she struggles with that. And then the other struggle we see is that she abuses her power. Now, let me just give you some insight if you do a little bit of research around this time, the women, right, in power, the the wives of the men who were in power. These wives often are described as loose in Egyptian culture. Not a whole lot of standards. Their husbands were gone for a long time. And so it was normal and common practice for for women in power, such as Potiphar's wife, to abuse that power and to use servants of the house to gratify herself. So she's abusing her her power. Lastly, within the abuse of her power, we see this. The planning of sin. The planning of... Of sin you, you ever heard somebody say or maybe you you are guilty of saying this man I, I don't know how it happened it just happened all right it just happened doesn't just happen sin requires planning sin requires stewing in some thoughts looking at certain things let your imagination run wild for a bit you, you never it, it never just happens case in point all the servants are gone out of the house you think that just happened or do you think Miss Potiphar was like hey listen boys guys I'm gonna need you to go work in the field today leave the house I need some alone time I'm I'm, I'm stressed leave me alone go work out in the field and as they're going so jo- so Joseph is going and and and, and Mrs. Potifer's like no nah, Joseph I got I got something special for you today I, I'm going to do I'm gonna need you to do something special for me. I, I, can you clean up my, uh, my bathtub for me? Miss, Mrs. Potiphar, listen, I, I know what you're trying to do. Well, Mrs. Potiphar planned that. It didn't just so happen that every servant was out of the house and only Joseph Was there. It just happened, doesn't just happen. Joseph, Mrs. Potiphar planned this. Now, that's the part of the Mrs. Potiphar problem that has to do with the person, Mrs. Potiphar. That's the part that has to do with the human heart. That's the part that has to do with the tendencies. Now, I know when we read a narrative like this, you and I insert ourselves into the text, and you and I automatically become Joseph. Because we were like, yes, we're the ones fleeing from sin. Let me just pop that bubble right now. You and I are Mrs. Potiphar. You and I have the same tendencies as Mrs. Potiphar. You and I wrestle with the same things as Mrs. Potiphar, who are you in that scene? You're Mrs. Potiphar telling Joseph to clean his bathtub. Clean my bathtub. No, not you, eh? Not in this church. Not here. Now, that's the personal problem. That's the heart problem. Now, the other Mrs. Potiphar problem is the problem of culture and society. The problem of culture and society. Here's what you need to know. What Mrs. Potiphar was doing was not uncommon in that day and age. It was normal. What Mrs. Potiphar was doing was not uncommon. It was normal. Now, let me say this. You Remember the text in the New Testament where where Jesus says to some of the Pharisees, he says, you have made void the word of God because of your traditions. Remember that scripture? Now, the the post-resurrection way to read that scripture would be something like this. You have blocked the story of Jesus from playing out in your life because you have decided to add to the story. The traditions of men make void the word of God. What you add actually robs the power of God. Now, those were the traditions that men were wrestling with in that day and age, in the days of Jesus. Now, you and I are wrestling with something else. We're wrestling with old traditions. We're wrestling with the performance gospel. We're wrestling with adding things to the gospel. And so you and I sometimes believe that God won't approve of me until I spend two hours in his word, until I spend two hours in prayer. God won't approve of me. Uh, You know, if I don't show up to church on time wearing the right things, God won't approve me me if, if I don't raise my hand. And so we add all these things. But how many know as good as those things are, they're not what qualifies us? That's us adding to the gospel narrative to the story of Jesus. Now, here's the flip side of what is happening in today's day and culture. There are the people that add and then there are also now the people that subtract. So the people that add say something along the lines of this. The gospel is Jesus plus my performance. The gospel is Jesus plus how many hours I pray. The gospel is Jesus plus the movies and music I listen to and watch. The gospel is Jesus plus. You getting the picture? Now the flip side of of the coin is this. The gospel is Jesus subtract what society calls normal. And I went real quiet. The gospel is Jesus minus what the music promotes. The gospel is Jesus, subtract what I see in the movies, what I see in, in, in sitcoms, what I see, ladies, romantic comedies. Yeah, I'm not going to get a whole lot of amens here, but I'm going to go here anyways. See, because there, there are men who have, who have designed their relationships and their need for relationships based on pornography. And by the way, women are guilty of that too. And so there are people who are guilty of doing that with pornography. And then there's others of you who are guilty of designing your life based on a romantic comedy. Where the guy just shows up in the random coffee, coffee, um, whatever you call it, cafe, forgot the word. And you go for the cinnamon powder and he's going for the cinnamon powder and your hands touch and... You can use it first. No, 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 go ahead. And you get a glimpse at their cup. Um, Sarah? How'd you know? Destiny. And so here's what you expect. Some of you go to Starbucks waiting for that moment where your hand touches his hand and he says, Sarah? And you say, Destiny? And it's... How many know that that is going to lead you in a very destructive place because you are going to build up expectations of how things are supposed to happen, of how you're supposed to be treated, that there are never going to be any fights, that, it, that, that, that there's always a happy ending? Should have called this sermon Sarah and Destiny. Um, see, see, here's the issue. Here's what you and I don't understand. Here's what our heart doesn't understand. Especially, um, when we, when we get into the realm of entertainment. Now, I know there's a lot of parents that don't let their kids watch violent movies. All right? Now, there's some violent movies that are just like, okay, just terrible. But then there's other violent movies. They got messages. You know, a great movie, uh, is, um. Hacksaw Ridge. Have you ever seen Hacksaw Ridge? True story, incredible movie. Um, my point is this: you 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 won't let your your son or your daughter watch Hacksaw Ridge, Ridge, because of violence and gunshots and all of this. But you'll you'll let your daughter grow up on Friends. Now here's what you don't understand: Friends isn't just entertainment; it is a worldview being communicated. That you can sleep with whoever you want to sleep with. And you can find out if they're good for you or bad for you. And if they're bad for you, you just go on to the next one. It's a worldview, And so you, you, you don't let little, little Billy watch, you know, Hacksaw Ridge. But little Sally grows up on Friends. And she thinks this is how relationships work. good so far? So there's the, thank you. So there's the heart, there's the heart problem, and then there's the culture problem. Now, the culture problem is so serious, and the heart problem is so serious, that Jesus says some very intense things to that regard in Matthew chapter 5. He says this in Matthew chapter 5, says this in verse 27. It says, you have heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery. What is adultery, Pastor Moses? Adultery is committing a sexual act with someone who you are not married to. Now, this can happen if you're single, and you're committing sexual acts with people and a person you're not married to, or this can happen when you're married and you're like Mrs. Potiphar trying to sleep with Joseph. So Jesus quotes out of the Old Testament and says, you have heard It was said, you shall not commit sexual acts with someone you're not married to. Now, that's a good thing. Hello? Now, watch how Jesus flips the script. But I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman or man with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her or him in his or her heart. Now, Jesus, you don't mean that. Jesus, you're telling me that every time I saw a movie and the guy was really attractive and he had no shirt on and his abs and his pecs were, and you know, they spray him with oil and water and so just, he's glistening. You're you're telling me every time I looked at that guy and said, "Mm, I need you to clean my bats up. And you're telling me every time I saw that Instagram model, and she's in her bikini, and I'm slowing down, and I, and I do and I do one of, this is too big for my phone. I do one of these. Mm. I'm going to get real, real here. And I do one of these. Mm, let me just zoom into that. Oh, no one here. You're telling me every time I did that, Jesus, I committed adultery? Jesus has just put getting into bed with someone and thinking about someone in a way that fuels you sexually as the same weight on the scale. That's crazy. Now, why is Jesus so intense? Because Jesus's view of marriage and the human body are incredibly beautiful and incredibly sacred. Incredibly beautiful and incredibly sacred. Now, the Old Testament talks about Sex, and even even the New Testament does, because you hear a message like this, and you're saying, and you know, people might be watching online for the first time, and they're like, see, this is the problem with Christianity. It demonizes sex. Ladies and gentlemen, the Bible does not ruin sex. The world does. Because the Bible holds sex at a very high, beautiful, and sacred place. So sacred that Jesus says you don't just violate it when you get into bed with someone who is not your spouse. You violate it the moment you let something enter into your heart. That's when you violate it. Now here's the thing about violation. See, Jesus is speaking to to the two greatest commandments. Number one, love God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. Number two, love your neighbor as yourself. Do you know what you do every time you stare at an individual? You not only defile the covenant of marriage, you defile the second greatest commandment. Because when you look at that individual to arouse sexual desires within you, here's what you've just declared. That person exists for your pleasure. Their body parts exist for your satisfaction. Satis- I can't even say it. Satisfaction. There it is. And so not only do we defile the covenant of marriage, we break the second greatest commandment. And here's the crazy part. We do it against their will. They don't even know it's happening. Now, so does the Bible demonize sex? No, it doesn't because the Bible glorifies sex. Let me me reiterate. Let me rephrase that. Glorified sex, you're like, what are you talking about? It, It holds it to such a holy and sacred and beautiful place right? Adam and Eve, the first marriage of the, of the Bible, right? They're naked. This is how their marriage starts. And Adam says to Eve, you are bone of my bone, flesh of my flesh. In the Hebrew, that's a love song. It's a poem. The Bible starts with a naked couple married, with Adam singing to Eve, naked. Now you can guess what happens after that. There's a whole Old Testament book, Song of Songs, and we—I know we've tried to. Oh, this is about Jesus. No, 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 no. That is about the beauty of sex within its right context. Now, the writer of Song of Songs, who is Solomon, says that sexual desire is like a fire. Now, I've got—I've got fire here somewhere. It's coming, Aizen. Bring that up. Come on, welcome, Azen. This is fire. You, you good to stand? All right, cool. How many know fire isn't good or bad? but it can be used for good or bad. right? Fire can be used for so many good things. I can, I can use fire. I could do a campfire in my backyard with my family. We could do chocolate, smores, graham crackers,, have, and have a good time. We could, we could roast hot dogs, and, and, although I never understood why people roast hot dogs over. I, was, I just found that gross. Anyways, that's a, pref- that's a personal thing. I'll, I'll just leave that out of there. Or I could, I could light my oven, cook some pizza. Pizza's good. Pizza's good for the soul. I could like my stove. I could, you know, married couples, you can, you can light a fireplace, have a romantic evening, married couples, have a good time. Fire can be used for a lot of good things. Now, how many know when fire runs free, it does a lot of damage? It wreaves havoc. It destroys everything it comes into contact with. And so, what is Solomon, in his wisdom, teaching us about sexual desires being ascribed to, as, as fire? He's saying this: just like fire, sexual desires need a covering. And the covering of sexual desires is the covenant of marriage. And every time we take it out of that covenant, we let the fire run free. Thanks, Jason. Come on, give it up for Jason. Okay, now I'm going to close. Corey, you can, you can come up, my bro. Has this been good? Yeah. Now, Jesus says something very interesting. He says, if your right eye causes you to sin, tear it out and throw it away. For it is better for you to lose one of your members than your whole body and be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. For it is better for you to lose one of your members than your whole body go to hell. Why is Jesus so intense about this? Again, the value of marriage and the human body is sacred and is beautiful. so intense about this. And you read that and you're like, man, Jesus, you must be joking. You don't really, you don't really mean that. What, what, is, what is Jesus trying to say? Pluck out your eye, cut off your hand. What are you, what are you doing, Jesus? What are you, what are you trying to tell me? What is, what is Jesus saying here? See, See, eyes and hands and even feet in the Old Testament symbolized direction in life. You'll hear the psalmist often talk about his eyes, where his eyes are pointing, where what his hands are doing, what his, where his feet are going, what God is doing and how God is involved. It speaks to direction. Here's what Jesus just said. Take care of this quickly, immediately, and even harshly if you must, because it will change the direction of your life. Here's what Joseph understood that you and I sometimes have a hard time to understand. Here's what our flesh doesn't understand. How one moment can change our future. One moment. If you look at the life of Joseph, what do we see? How one moment changes his life. One moment of confessing his dream to his brothers. One moment of his brothers selling him out. One moment of saying no to Potiphar's wife, one moment changes the direction and the trajectory of his life. That's what Joseph understood. And so what did he do? He ran. Because moments set things into motion. And the decisions you make alter the directions of your life. One moment of saying yes to something. One moment of lying to your husband. One moment of lying to your spouse. One moment of, well, everyone's sleeping. Let me, let me see what I can get away with. One moment of no one's watching. One moment. You know how cycles and patterns start? With one moment. One moment. And so when the Bible talks about sexual sin, you know, how, you know what the Bible says? The Bible does not say, ladies and gentlemen, put on the armor of God, stand firm, and overcome your sexual temptation. It is the only sin that the Bible says when you run into this. Not strong enough. Flee. You don't believe me? Look at this verse. First Corinthians chapter 6, verse 18. The apostle Paul, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, says this flee from sexual immorality. Every other sin a person commits is outside the body, but the sexual immoral person sins against his own body. What is Paul saying? Something happens in your soul where a moment isn't just a moment, but, but it has the potential to start an addiction. It has a potential to create a cycle, a pattern. One moment. See, see you and I think moments are, moments are just these still stepping stones. Moments are not still stepping stones. Moments are streams of water that continuously run. So, so you might be here when you make a decision in that moment, but you'll end up all the way here because that stream is moving. The trajectory, the pattern, the cycle, the stream. If you can't control your heart, you know where you're gonna end up? In hell. These are the words of Jesus, friends. This is not me. If it was up, if it's up to me, I would change that. I, I know my past. Now that word hell, in the Greek is the word Gehenna. Someone say Gehenna. That was a literal place. So when Jesus said that your bodies will be thrown into Gehenna, here's the picture that comes to the mind of those who are listening to him. It was a place where they constantly burned garbage. Now if you have ever burned garbage, you know what it smells like. The heat, the smell, the disgust. It symbolized a place of constant thirst. Here's what Jesus is saying. If you don't get a handle on this, you're going to end up in a place of constant thirst. That's the problem with Mrs. Potterford. It says day after day, day after day, day after day. She continued to put herself in that environment, and what did she do? She changed the direction of her life to bring herself to a place of constant thirst, constant, Joseph, please lie with me. Joseph, lie with me. Joseph, lie with me. Joseph, lie with me. Constant thirst. Now here's the reality, and I promise I'm done. Eventually, you're gonna run out of the energy to say no. You're going to run out of the energy to say no, and some of you have already experienced that in your life. And so in that moment, you're going to need something greater. You're going to need someone greater. And his name is Jesus. And he came as a carpenter 2,000 years ago and he lived the perfect life. And he said, I will take your place. I. And I will become the well. The fountain of a living water. So here's what Romans 6 says verses 12 to 18 in the message. But the worship team came, so you, you know I'm about to close. It says, That means you must not give sin a vote in the way you conduct your lives. Don't give it the time of day. Don't even run little errands that are connected with that old way of life. Throw yourselves wholeheartedly and full time. Remember, you've been raised from the dead into God's way of doing things. Sin can't tell you how to live life. Still, Sin can't tell you how to live life. After all, you're not living under that old tyranny any longer, you're living in the freedom of God. You're living in the freedom of God. So since we're out from under the old tyranny, does that mean we can live any old way we want? Since we're free in the freedom of God, can we do anything that comes to our mind? Hardly. You know well enough from your own experience that there are some acts of so-called freedom that destroy freedom. Offer yourselves to sin, for instance, and it's your last free act. A moment is not just a moment. But offer yourselves to the ways of God, and the freedom never quits. All your lives, you've let sin tell you what to do, but thank God, but thank God, you've started listening to a new master, one whose commands set you free to live openly in his freedom. To live openly in his freedom. Here's the great news, ladies and gentlemen. All have fallen short of the glory and the standard of God, but we have one. His name is Jesus. He is the greater Joseph who paid the penalty for your and my sin, and he hung on the cross between two criminals, suffocating on his own blood for six hours for you, for your freedom, so that you could experience life. Creator Joseph. You see that? Joseph suffers for the sin of Potiphar. He goes to prison for someone else's sin. Jesus is on the cross for your sin, for my sin, suffering the wrath and the judgment of God that you and I deserve. Not so that we can stand on moral high grounds, but so that we can stand on his grace, Amen. on his mercy that never ends knows no bounds, knows no limits. He's the worthy one. He's the worthy one. You stand this morning. Just as all eyes are closed and heads are bowed, I just want to give you an opportunity right now if you're saying I need to receive the free gift of forgiveness that only Jesus can offer you're tired of living in cycles, living in patterns you're tired of moments controlling the trajectory of your life, there is a man his name is Jesus, he claimed to be God he died for your sin, was buried, was raised three days later proving that he is God He offers the free gift of forgiveness only found in Him. And if you would like to receive that right now in this room or online, wherever you're watching from, just slip your hand up right now and put it back down. If you're saying you would like to receive, thank you. Thank you so much. If you're watching online, God sees your hands. Father, thank you for these hands. Thank you for these lives that have committed themselves to you, that have received the free gift of forgiveness that only you can offer. And I pray, God, in these moments like this, God, if if moments of sin can have such an impact in our lives, how much more moments in your presence. For your word says where sin abounds, grace abounds, all the much more. And so I thank you for your grace. I thank you for your mercies. I pray that we would experience the freedom found in your forgiveness this morning.